You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This is the message for us today as well. Not only for Israel back then, but also for us today. And so these books of the Bible are extremely relevant because the same God who called upon the complete devotion of Israel of old calls for the same for his people today. That is, members of his church. He will put up with any devotion to false gods. He will have no rivals. He will put up with any prolonged disobedience. As we start 1 Kings, the book begins with David at the end of his life and the question of who is going to take over the throne. We can learn a lot from David's life. We can learn lessons about how he reacted to situations around him. But we can also learn about the character of God. In today's message, Pastor Mike will be reminding us that the God we read about in the Old Testament is the same God we read about in the New Testament. We can learn a lot from how he acts in these Old Testament books. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 1 as he begins his message, God's Purpose Prevailing. God's purpose prevailing. You know, no matter what's going on in our lives, you know, all of the things that happen and many times catch us by surprise and it's hard to make heads or tails of the things that are going on in our lives at times. Nevertheless, God is doing a work in the lives of his people. And you can be sure that God's plan and purposes will always be realized. And as it relates to you and to me. And those plan and purpose that God has for each and every one of us is a good plan. It's a good purpose. Nothing will thwart the plan of God. So please keep that in mind as we move through this series. I want to begin, before we actually get into the exposition of chapter 1, and we're going to go through this entire chapter this morning, so you're really going to get your money's worth, okay? But before that, I want to share some background about this particular book of the Bible and also talk about some of the things that we're going to be discovering, some of the things that we're going to be addressing over the next couple of months. So a little bit of background. First of all, let me say that together, 1st and 2nd Kings, though originally were joined together in one book, I don't know if you knew that or not, Inception, it was only one book of the the Bible, but together 1st and 2nd Kings provide a history of the kings of Israel as well as the kings of uh, Judah, so the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south, from King David to King Zedekiah. And it covers almost about 500 years of the history of Israel. 
And this history provides for us a very special, yes, historical record, but also a spiritual record and account as well. We want to emphasize the spiritual account because it is viewed through the lens of the prophet. We'll talk about the writer of that book in just a a moment. The emphasis, as we will discover as we move through it, is placed upon the setting up of kings and the exercises that caused them great success, as well as those kings who, after beginning their rule, were dismissed by God and the reasons for their failures. So listen, as we go through this book of the Bible, we're going to discover that there are plenty of lessons for us to consider as it relates to our having great success or, unfortunately, our failures. So therein lies the value of studying this book. Many Bible teachers believe that the prophet Jeremiah, also according to Jewish tradition, was actually the author of these books, First and Second Kings, and that they were written after Israel and Judah had failed to become what God wanted them to be, how they had sunk into idolatry. Thus, God brought judgment upon them, as we will discover as we move through, again, these books of the Bible. Thus, they were defeated by their enemies. And when Jeremiah wrote these books, it has been said that God's people were in captivity in Babylon. And so the author's objective was to show these exiles how they had come to their deplorable state and also to prepare them for the future. Their condition was dire to their failure to heed and obey God's word. Therefore, their future success hinged upon their having a new attitude towards God and their submission to obey his precepts. And again, it all comes back to whether or not they were going to be successful or they were going to experience great failure. And I don't know if there are two more heinous sins in God's eyes than disobedience to his word In fact, let me give you a cross-reference for this. Notice the importance that God places upon our obeying his word and his precepts. For example, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 28, in verse 14. So you shall, now this is God instructing uh, his people, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So once again, I don't know if there are two more heinous sins in God's eyes than disobedience to his word and also the sin of idolatry. You know, I want to draw your attention to the first commandment of the ten that are recorded for us in the book of Exodus in chapter 20 in verses 3 through 5. There's a reason why this is the first in the ten commandments. And notice what it says there. You shall have no other gods before me. And again, this is where Israel failed. They had sunken into idolatry, and thus they were judged by God. They were defeated by their enemies. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And so these were the two reasons why God had judged his people Israel. They had failed to be the kinds of people that God wanted them to become. And so, gang, this is the message for us today as well, not only for Israel back then, but also for us today. 
And so these books of the Bible are extremely relevant because the same God who called upon the complete devotion of Israel of old calls for the same for his people today, that is, members of his church. He won't put up with any devotion to false gods. He will have no rivals. He won't put up with any prolonged disobedience, and he calls upon us to love his laws and to govern ourselves by them. Okay, so that sets up our message, some background information. So let's get right into our text now. Let's go through our exposition of chapter 1. Chapter 1 in verse 1. Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. So we now come to the end of David's reign. It was a long, illustrious career. He spent 40 years as Israel's king, 40 years upon the throne. But now David's strength is declining. He basically has become an invalid. Notice what it says there concerning David and his condition. He could not get warm. In other words, he was suffering from uh, chills. He was only 70 years old, but he lived a very hard life. You know, once he was able to say, and it's recorded for us, David wrote this in his own his own words, he testified to this, in the 18th Psalm in verse 29, he says, by you, God, I can run against the troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. But this could not be said any longer of David. Now notice, let's go on here in verse 2. So David's strength is certainly declining. Verse 2, wherefore his servants said unto him, and this is the way that they were going to treat David, let there be sought for my lord the king a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, that my lord the king may get uh, heat. Okay, now this is a little unusual, but this woman would sort of become like David's nurse. And this was a little different kind of a practice than we are familiar with, with when we think of someone who is providing nursing duties for an individual, when we think of what a nurse does. But back then, this was an ancient medical treatment. And the idea here is that she was to lend him her heat. Okay? So basically, that's what's going on here. In verses 3 through 5, so they sought for a fair damsel throughout the coasts of Israel, and they found Abiashag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him. But the king knew her not. In other words, he didn't have any kind of sexual relationship with this woman. She only served as his a nurse. Now, in our cast of characters in verse 5, we are introduced to this fellow whose name was Adonijah. Then Adonijah the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run uh, before him. Now, Adonijah was the eldest surviving son of David. And notice here, according to our text, he makes his bid for the throne. And notice the reference to the chariots, the horsemen, the 50 men. This big to-do was to put into motion for himself to project 
himself as someone who is worthy to be king. Now, a little bit of background here. It was the custom back then, in those days, in other nations, but not in the nation of Israel, because God had already chosen who was going to be the next king over Israel, and his choice was Solomon, one of David's other sons. But let me say once again, back then, there was a custom in other nations whereby the oldest son would succeed his father to the throne. But this did not apply here. And David had already chosen Solomon, uh, probably in, in his relationship, in his experience, in his conversations with God. He was prompted by God to place Solomon on the throne in his stead. But notice there in verse 5, we are told that Adonijah exalted himself. You see, Adonijah didn't care about what David, his father, had chosen. He never considered that his father had been informed and guided by God in his selection. He was seeking his own honor, not God's honor. And he didn't consider the unique communion that his father David had with God. So Adonijah was someone who was all about himself. And the reason for this, I think we're actually given the explanation of why he was all about himself from what we read there in verse 6. Let's go back to our text. And we are told, and his father had not displeased him, rather did not discipline him at any time, in saying, why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, or handsome man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. Okay, so, not once, according to verse 6, in raising Adonijah, did David, his father, ever correct or discipline him. And I guess that was one of the reasons why he had exalted himself and he was lifted up in, in pride and he wasn't concerned about his father, David, whom he chosen and selected to succeed him upon the throne. Now, this is very important as it relates to disciplining our children. And when I say disciplining our children, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, spanking your children or, you know, but we need to correct our children or else they will, as they grow older, they'll be out of control. And it's very important that we set boundaries for our children. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 29, in the book of Wisdom, in verse 15, Solomon tells us, the rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself, and that's exactly what happened with Adonijah, he was left to himself, brings shame to his mother or his father. And so maybe that was some of the reason why Adonijah was lifted up in pride, wasn't concerned about his father's uh, selection. Now in verse 7, we are told, And he, Adonijah, conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, the high priest, and they following Adonijah helped him. So Adonijah conspired with Joab, who was at this time David's chief general, and Abiathar, the high priest, making his alliances. And again, these were men of influence. What Adonijah had done was very similar to Absalom's attempts to unseat David as king. Now, Adonijah's scheme here should alert us to the sad fact that we are going to find evil and evil plans in the most unlikely of places. 
even within the church today. I mean, Adonijah and his cohorts carried out their plan, as we will discover, within the context of the covenant nation of Israel. And the modern-day successor to Israel is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we expect to find evil in the world, but we think the church should be exempt from it. So Adonijah rejected the will of God concerning his brother Solomon. He sowed seeds of discord in the nation, and he gave way to pride and ambition. Folks, these evils are still found in the community of faith today. And we need to be on guard about this sort of thing. Rebellion against God's will and his truth, discord, pride, and ambition. Now, let me also say that when this ugly sin raises its head within the Christian community, within the church, we're not just to give into it, to have some kind of a fatalistic attitude towards it. And this morning, we're going to discover, in just a moment, what we are to do. So, let's go back now to our text. Notice there in verse 8, there we read, verse 8, But Zadok the priest, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shemai, and Rei, and the mighty men, Remember, the reference to the mighty men, those 600 men that were, when we were first introduced to them, were outcasts of society, and David molded them and shaped them into a a great fighting force. They were sort of like David's uh, mercenaries. They were elite fighting men. Notice, they uh, remained faithful uh, to David and David's selection, which belonged to David, were not with Adonijah. And so these men were not going to be a part of this conspiracy that was now set in motion by Adonijah. Now in verse 9, And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zaholith, which is by Enrogel, and called all his brethren, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. So, Adonijah made a great feast, and if you think about it, this was a good way to muster up support and announce his intention to be Israel's next king. And then in verse 10, we read, But Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah, and the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he called not. Now why was it that he didn't call them, or they weren't invited to the feast? Well, because he knew they wouldn't be on his side. Now in verse 11, wherefore Nathan spake unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, hast thou not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath, doth reign, and David our Lord knows it not? Okay, so Nathan begins to make his move, and he goes on the offensive. He realizes that he is in a key position to stop this. And he provides for us a great example. You see, Nathan the prophet was someone who was alert. And we also should be alert. That is, concerning the things that are going on in the church. If there's any evil, any false teaching, anything that would disrupt the fellowship of the the saints and God's plan for the church. He was alert. He was watchful. 
for any evil within the nation that would affect the nation. And he was watching for those whose ways are a danger to the truth. And so Nathan stood against it. He knew the subtlety of it, the terrible damages that that could create. And so listen, God has often defeated evil by causing one person, and so if we ever become aware of something like this within the church, and over the 40 years of my being involved in ministry, I've seen this happen, you know, certain individuals getting lifted up in pride and, you know, doing their own thing, they're not concerned about, you know, God's ways or God's truth and stuff, and it's all about themselves or drawing disciples unto themselves. We need to make a stand. And it only takes one person to do that. And God has often defeated evil by causing one person to realize that he or she was in a strategic position and therefore must act for God and for his truth. I'll give you a couple examples of this. How about Esther? How about Daniel in Babylon? How about Martin Luther? So may God help us to do as these saints did. We are living in evil days, and we need to be discerning uh, Christians. Okay, so let's get back into the rest of this chapter here. Okay, let's pick up in verse 12. Okay, verse 12. Now therefore, come, let me, I pray thee, now this is Nathan now speaking to Bathsheba, let me give thee counsel. Here's this one guy standing up for the truth, okay? So he's going to do everything that he could possibly can do to put an end to this evil of Adonijah, resisting God's selection for the next king over Israel. Now therefore come, let me pray thee, I pray thee, give thee counsel that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. Go and get thee into King David and say unto him, Did not thou, my lord, O king, swear unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon, my son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Why then does Adonijah uh, reign? So, after the death of her first son, Absalom, who was killed, remember, in the battle, he swore and made an oath to Bathsheba that her son Solomon would be the next king over Israel. Verse 14. Behold, while thou yet talkest there with the king, I also will come in, that is Nathan, after you go ahead and address the king, after you've shared what's going on with Adonijah, I'll come behind you and I'll confirm all of your words. I will come in after thee and confirm thy words. Verse 15. And Bathsheba went in unto the king, into the chamber, and the king was very old. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. The book of 1 Kings opens with the death of King David and the rise of Solomon. When he was given a choice, Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, and it pleased the Lord. From 1 Kings 3, 11 through 13, we read God's response. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself, 
long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. I also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. What are you asking God for today? God was pleased with Solomon's request and gave him all he asked and more. Are your requests pleasing to God? We're so glad you've joined us here on In My Father's House as Pastor Mike Fenizio makes his way through the book of 1 Kings. This book is filled with rich history that shows us the character of God. Pastor Mike has a lot more to share with you as he continues through this book, and we have other messages stored for you on our website. Head on over to harvestnyc.org to find teachings on a wide variety of topics. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship, located in Midtown Manhattan. We're easy to find. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. You can check out our website for times. Well, we've come to the end of our time together today. Be sure to plan on joining us again next time for more from First Kings right here on In My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.